Both science and scripture agree. Consistent stress, failure, temptation, and even addictions may be signs that you're in the wrong location. Let's explore how to get in sync with what I call the divine design. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the app Shut Up Devil. I'm all about shutting down the lies and struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it. Every single week with a live online audience, you can join me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 central at kylewinkler.org live. By the way, before we get into the message, a big thank you to the donors and partners who keep us going and growing. You know, we are donor-supported, and if you'd like to partner with us in reaching people, you may do so at any time at kylewinkler.org donate. Okay. Because of my background in technology, a lot of you have heard my stories. That was my undergrad degree. I was a programmer for years before I got into ministry. Well, because of that background, I tend to relate to God as an intelligent designer. Ever since being saved, I've enjoyed looking at creation and seeing God's programming in it. That's why in a number of my teachings and my books, you'll hear me talk about various aspects of how our bodies are designed. In my book, Shut Up Devil, for example, I have two chapters where I explore neuroscience and how God designed the mind to be programmed. As I say in the book, this is a design that not only helps us shut down and shut out the enemy's work in our lives, but understanding the design gives us clues about God's original intentions, and it just helps make life better that way. I think that's what I like most about looking at science and creation. Through it, we can see glimpses of the way things were supposed to be back before it was wrecked. And not just for the fun of learning history, but when you know how you are designed and you live according to that design, well, that's the solution to ending a lot of frustration, fear, stress, and more. So for example, as I mentioned a minute ago, neuroscience shows us that God designed our brains to be moldable. Plasticity is what it's called. As you experience things over and over, the brain creates pathways, which determines how you see and react to things. In our fallen world, the enemy abuses this design to create negative patterns of thinking. But in God's creation before the fall, we can reason that this design was intended so that people would see and learn to expect God's goodness. As I say in Shut Up Devil, when Adam and Eve saw God provide for them time and time and time again, their brain programmed by what they saw to expect God's provision. That's what happens when something over and over happens. A new pathway is formed in the brain. Well, our bodies are also designed to tell us when something isn't right. Pain, for example, isn't always of the devil, but the body was designed to recognize dangerous things, and pain often serves as a protective mechanism so that you don't get hurt. You should feel pain when you put your Hand on a stove so you don't keep it there. Well, other times, our bodies simply malfunction when we're not operating according to the way it is designed. Nutrition might be the best example of that. Technically, we can 
survive off of vitamin-depleted, preservative-saturated fast food? But if that's all that our diet consists of, our bodies aren't going to perform it. Be performance, it will likely start to experience some symptoms that essentially say, hey, something's not right, or you're not getting what you need. Well, a common negative experience that happens to all of us gives us a huge clue about God's designs, particularly how to live and not live. I mentioned this a few months ago in my message titled, The Power to Stop. But I wanted to revisit it and really explore what it means and how we can use what we learn from it to experience a life of peace and power and even overcome negative things like addictions and patterns of sin. You know that feeling when someone asks you something and while you know the answer, like you know it, any other time you'd be able to say it. Maybe it's the name of somebody or something. But yet, in that specific moment, when you need to give the answer, you just can't think of it? It's frustrating, isn't it? Why does this happen? Well, those who study science of the brain notice that when you're asked to perform or recall things in moments of pressure, your body enters danger mode and releases stress-related hormones that impair your memory and even your abilities. It affects your performance. We call this choking under pressure. And it's a well-studied phenomenon that goes far beyond our abilities to recall information. Athletes experience this in their performance. They've studied basketball players who make free throws all the time in practice far more than they ever do in a game. It's the same with job interviews and test taking. You can be well prepared, yet choke in the moment when it matters. The higher the stakes, the more pressure there is, often the worse you do. We all experience that. But what does it tell us? A couple things. First, we are not designed to remain in a high-pressure environment or in situations where it seems like everything is riding on our performance. We are not designed to live always proving ourselves. The more we do, actually, the weaker we become. Here's the rule of thumb. The higher the pressure, the more likely you are to fail. The Apostle Paul knew something about this in 1 Corinthians 1556. He says, law gives sin its power. That's confusing to a lot of people. But the law, which was compromised of all the do's and don'ts that for many thousands of years people believe made them good with God, was really designed only to bring people to the end of themselves, to realize that they can't do it on their own. It was kind of actually designed to make them fail, to show them that they will fail in their own efforts. So for the reason that we're exploring here, the more you believe that your position with God rides on your performance, the worse you'll do. That's why Paul said law empowers sin. Pressure empowers failure. We weren't designed to live under pressure. And what were we designed for, Kyle? Well, I'm glad you asked. 
I always say that if you want to see what God most desires for us, you have to look at the beginning of creation. What we see in Genesis 1 through 2 really reveals the divine design. In there we see where God desires humanity to live, which actually tells us how to live. And we see the benefits of living according to his design. The answer is in Genesis 2.8. It says, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. Now I know that most of you are probably thinking, I don't see the answer in that, Kyle. Yet it's right there in plain sight. It's Eden. You see, reading this in English, we think of Eden simply as the name of a place. And I do believe that it was a physical place. But it was more than that. It was a position. In the Hebrew language, Eden means a place of delight or pleasure. It's not only a place of enjoyment, but it's a place of being enjoyed by God. A place where there is no pressure to perform or prove anything. A place where God is pleased simply by your being. So let's reread that verse in light of what I just said, that Eden is delight. Genesis 2.8, then the Lord God planted a garden in his delight. And in his delight, he placed the man that he had made. God literally made human beings out of his delight. And then he placed them inside of his delight, where they were designed to live. And you can keep reading the rest of the passage and see it was out of this ground, out of his delight, where anything good was produced. Delicious fruit came out of his delight. Rivers of refreshment flowed from his delight. There's so much to all this. Consider this. Adam and Eve were created after all the work in establishing creation was finished. That's probably because God didn't want any advice on how to do it. <laughs> but seriously, it's because they weren't created to work and strive and labor. Their first day was Sabbath. Upon their creation, they were immediately placed inside of God's delight where everything was taken care of. Their protection, their provision, their well-being, it all came from God's delight. They didn't have to prove anything to God. They didn't have to earn anything from Him. Their only responsibility, if you even want to call it that, was to tend to the garden. Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Literally, in the beginning, in God's original design, humankind was tasked only with cultivating God's delight. We'll talk more about that toward the end of the message. But here's the takeaway from this right now. Humans are not designed to live under pressure. Not designed to live under proving or striving. We are designed to live in the place and position of God's delight, in the place of rest and relationship. And not only does Scripture indicate this truth from the very beginning, but as we saw a few minutes ago, our bodies testify to this truth as well. It's no wonder why our bodies go into danger mode when our brains produce stress hormones. So wonder all that happens when we're under pressure because it's not where we're meant to live. It's not how we were designed to be. 
And anything that operates outside of the way or place it was designed will not operate effectively. It will likely fail more frequently. We see this with machines. It's with people too. But obviously, we live in a broken world. The physical place of Eden is long gone. Probably buried under hundreds of feet of mud from Noah's flood. So is it hopeless? That we could ever return there? Well, if you think there is the actual Garden of Eden, then sure, we'll probably never get there. But I suspect that's for good reason. God probably allowed the Garden of Eden to go missing because He doesn't want people to make enjoying Him and being enjoyed by Him dependent upon being in any physical location. No, God desires living in His delight to be the position you are in regardless of where you are. He wants you to live in His delight while you're raising your family, while you're on the job negotiating for that big contract, while you're at school in the middle of taking a test, or while you're in standstill traffic on the freeway. You know, humans had to go through about 4,000 years of learning that stress and striving don't work to produce anything good. The Old Testament is really the story of God's people relearning that no amount of effort would get them back to Eden. No amount of doing could achieve them ultimate peace with God. So, I think that when God finally felt like His point was made, that's when He instituted His plan to restore us back to the place of His delight. That's when He sent Jesus who the Bible describes as the fullness of God in the flesh. Jesus himself said that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, because of the nature of this ministry, I hear from a lot of people who are struggling with something. Get emails, social media messages all the time. Lots of people are hurting. And when I listen... Almost always, fears, the mind games people battle, are rooted in a wrong concept of God. Many people believe that they are in this perpetual trial that's being held by the God that they know of mostly from the Old Testament. And that keeps them insecure, afraid, ashamed depressed, so much more. Maybe you've heard of this new movement called the deconstruction movement. People are deconstructing their faith. And that's just a process where people start to question and rethink the things that they were taught, which isn't always bad. A lot of us have been taught a lot of doctrines and interpretations of men which were taught of are taught to us as equal to the gospel, yet really aren't. It's a healthy thing to learn how to separate what is God versus what is man. But sadly, too many people deconstruct their way out of the faith completely, never reconstruct anything. And it's always, from what I've seen, it's always because they've had a wrong concept of God. Again, usually based upon what they've seen from the Old Testament. 
I went to a Christian school from kindergarten through eighth grade. And I'm saddened by the handful of people that I know from that Christian school who now claim to be atheists. Why? Because they were taught about a God who requires all of this work and earning and proving and fixing and doing. They were told, you better do this or else. And eventually they realized it can't be done. It wears them out. They felt like they were sold a bill of goods and therefore came to the conclusion that God doesn't exist at all, or at least they don't want to serve a God like that. So they've just walked away from the faith. And this all grieves me because too many have made decisions or are living joyless and powerless, all because at best they've been given a fuzzy snapshot of God. Friends, in this day and age, it is crucial that we know and show God in His fullness, which is Jesus. Jesus is the complete revelation of the Father. Jesus is the restoration of how God was known back before sin and what God wanted out of people back before people wanted more than Him. Just before Jesus breathed His last breath on the cross, He declared, to tell us die. It is finished. Means mission accomplished. This was Jesus' announcement to the world that the plan of God was complete. At this moment, the Bible describes that the thick black curtain that the, was in the temple, it was torn in two. And if you don't know what that means, the curtain symbolized the separation of God and people. Well, it is finished was the announcement of the reconciliation of God and people, just as 2 Corinthians 5.19 assures. Jesus' finished work brought the restoration of humanity's access again to Eden, to God's delight, to the divine design, but this time not just a specific location. It's better. It's wherever you are, whoever you are. I think that we could study the life of Jesus for eternity and still be discovering new truths about the effects of what he did. So, what I'm going to give you here probably, actually I know it isn't an exhaustive list, but it is a list of three important ways that Jesus puts us back in Eden. It's a list of the effects of the cross. I call it the because of Jesus list. <laughs> Simple as that. First, because of Jesus, you no longer need to make sacrifices for your sins. Hebrews 10 it says that Jesus' blood did the work for the forgiveness of sins once and for all. Verse 12, it says, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. When Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, he said it is finished because the work for the forgiveness of sins was done. Then he sat down down. There is no more work for him to do. It was complete. And there's no more work for you to do other than believe that he did it. Too many of us live as if we still have to pay something, sacrifice something for our faults and failures. And we do it through self-deprecation. We beat ourselves up. We do it through Spiritual disciplines, it can even be done through prayer and fasting. 
We do it through giving and good works. Not all of those practices are bad. Prayer, fasting, obviously those are good things. But no spiritual discipline, none of it, can cleanse sin. If animal sacrifices couldn't do it, your self-deprecating thoughts, the way you talk about yourself, how much you beat yourself up, how much you do, none of that's going to work to cleanse you. But you can put yourself at rest today because if you believe in Jesus, then you are cleansed and there's not another sacrifice to be made. There's no more need to appease God. Now you live in His delight in the state of Him being permanently pleased with you. That's living in Eden. Second, because of Jesus, there's nothing you need to fix. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, I'm not saying that there's nothing that wouldn't be beneficial for you to fix or adjust in your life. But there's nothing God requires of you in order to remain in good standing with Him. Why? Because as Romans 3.22 assures, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And I love how Paul goes on to say, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Belief in Christ, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, is the only litmus test for the faith. I know so many of us these days, we want to put all of these other things, oh, you got to think this way, you got to act this way, you got to be this way, in order to be a real Christian. Paul says you're made right by your faith in Christ, and it's true for whoever you are. Doesn't get much simpler than that. This was huge for me to finally get. And I suspect this revelation will bring freedom to some of you too. As I very vulnerably share in my book, Shut Up Devil, because of the rejection and shame and insecurity I faced in my childhood, when I came to really know the Lord, even though I had heard that He loved me, and I loved Him for it, I couldn't accept that that was it. And those days, I believed there was just so much wrong with me. And people told me that Jesus had the power to fix everything that I thought was wrong with me, as long as I cooperated with Him. So I thought it was just the goal of the Christian life to do my part to allow Jesus to fix me. And if I wasn't fixed, then I guess I haven't done my part. I guess there's more to do. But here's the thing. Jesus did fix everything wrong with me. And he fixed everything wrong with you too because he removed your wrong nature and he replaced it with his right nature. He literally put you in right standing with God because of your belief. Now there's nothing you have to do to live up to any standard. Christ writes you despite you. Okay. Third, because of Jesus, there's nothing to prove or earn. There's no need for striving. Colossians 2.10, love this verse. So you are also complete through your union with Christ. I hear from so many people who think that they must essentially talk God into blessing them. And I was there for at least the first decade of my faith. In truth, about every spiritual discipline I did was either to try to fix myself or to convince God I was worthy of something. Look, God, I read my Bible for 30 minutes a day. Can you bless me now? Look, God, I gave some money today. 
Can you promote me now? I was doing all of this to try to earn peace and acceptance from him rather than doing out of the overflow of peace and acceptance that I already had with him. It's not wrong to do things. You just don't have to earn things from God. You do them not for peace and acceptance. You do them out of the acceptance that God has given you already. So please hear me. You don't have to talk God into loving you because God is love. You don't have to earn intimacy with God because as a believer, He's in you. He can't get any closer and He's not going to go any further. You don't have to prove why God should bless you. The Bible says that in Christ all of God's promises are yes and amen. Love what Ephesians 1.3 says, that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing because we are united with Christ. God designed us to live in and from His delight. It's where we were placed in the beginning, His original intention. It's the state in which our bodies are programmed to be most effective. It's what Jesus died to restore us to. And so many Christians still struggle and fail more than, you know, maybe what our humanity would require. But we consistently struggle and fail much more than we'd ever have to because we're weakened by a pressure that no longer exists. It doesn't have to exist. So please let this be your takeaway. If you've said yes to Jesus, you are already at peace with God. You are already forgiven by God. You are already accepted by God. The only goal of the Christian life is to rest in the relationship of God being your father and you being his child. That's freedom. That's Eden. That's the divine design. Now, I know some of you are asking, but how do I get there? How do I get beyond this need to please and perform? I've been living like this my whole life. How do I snap out of it? Let's go back to Genesis 2.15. Remember, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. It was Adam's only job to tend to God's delight, to cultivate the garden, to cultivate God's delight. That's the key for us remaining in peace and power that comes from living in God's delight too. As you cultivate your environment to be one of no pressure, your body will more naturally work as it was designed to. You'll think more clearly. You'll be less tempted more naturally. You'll live holier more automatically than you will ever if you're striving to do it on purpose. Cultivating this environment in your life comes through the renewal of the mind, which the Bible describes in Romans 12, too, as changing your thoughts changes your life. Not just any thoughts, though, thoughts of truth, thoughts of God's grace, thoughts of God's love. So certainly, whenever you catch yourself getting into performance mode or guilt or shame, take some of those scriptures that I mentioned or find your own. Again, regarding God's love, regarding God's grace about what He says about you, your identity in Christ, take some of those scriptures and rehearse them in your mind. Just think things like, well, Hebrews 10, 12 says that Jesus' sacrifice was, one done, was done once and for all for the forgiveness of sin. 
Well, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says that because of the cross, God is no longer counting my sins against me. Romans 3.22 says simply, by my belief in Jesus, I have been made right. Rehearse those things. Renew your mind with them. Of course, you know, replacing wrong thoughts with right thoughts will help you start to react right. Think right. But I suggest being more intentional than this. If you really want to cultivate an environment of God's delight, you got to cultivate it. Cultivate is a verb. Be proactive about it. This isn't another law. This is just helping you to get into the right state of mind so that you can enjoy God's delight wherever you are. Intentionally think thoughts of God's love and grace in the morning, throughout the day, before you go to bed. And I encourage you to do more than think those thoughts, but actually speak them too. As I describe in Shut Up Devil, this intentional way of thinking and speaking does more than deflect wrong thoughts, but it actually reprograms your brain so that you start living according to what you're thinking and speaking. I always say it, I'll say it again, right believing is what leads to right behaving and right living. It all starts with a believing. You've likely lived years with a pattern of thinking that was based upon the pressure of keeping God pleased with you, everything you were taught through religion. I'm challenging you today to change your thinking to the truth that because of Jesus, God is permanently pleased with you. Consistently say things like, I thank you, Lord, that you love me. God, I thank you that you are good and I am good with you. That's cultivating God's delight in your life. And from there, all good things will flow. I'm telling you, you just wait and see. Things you once struggled with will be less and less of an issue simply when you get in sync with God's divine design. Okay, with a message like this, if I didn't tell you how I could help you, I'd be doing you a disservice. So many of the resources that we provide through this ministry are to help you apply what I just taught. So please, allow me to quickly share just a few of these. First, my book, Shut Up Devil, helps you recognize 10 lies that are likely keeping you in defeat. I confront each one of the lies, such as God is punishing you, or you are unlovable, or you should be afraid. There are 10 of them. I confront each of the lies with truth about who you are to God and who God is to you. You can get a signed copy of Shut Up Devil on my website at kylewinkler.org slash shutupdevil or in paperback, ebook, or audiobook wherever books are sold. Second, we produced this 30-day scripture reflection journal, which is designed to help you think and speak intentionally on truth in a way that reprograms your mind to live according to it. The journal is titled, Think on These Things, 30 Days of Power Thoughts to Boost Your Confidence and Courage. And third, this is real simple, but a huge tool. It's our Who I Am in Christ Mirror Clean. These come in a two or a five pack. 
And as I said, they're a simple tool for you to place on your mirrors throughout your house so that you and your family see yourselves according to God's truths every time you look in the mirror. So the book, the journal, the mirror clings, and more, they're all available at kylewinkler.org. That does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and He is for you, and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.